Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. So much. Now, this year's nominees for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role. Kathy Bates in About Schmidt. Julianne Moore in The Hours. Queen Latifah in Chicago. Meryl Streep in adaptation. Catherine Zeta-Jones in Chicago. And the Oscar goes to Catherine. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 2003 win for Catherine Zeta-Jones for the movie Chicago. And uh, today I'm joined by my guest who is the creator, writer, and actor of Gay Victorian Affair. Uh, You can check that out on YouTube. It was the winner of four Canadian Comedy Awards. It was nominated for and won various awards throughout film festivals throughout the world. He is also the producer of Gay AF Comedy that also has a hilarious Instagram page that you can check out. Uh, Robert Watson. Hi, Robert. Hello. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so great to be here and here in person. Here in you. person. Yes, this is so. You are my third in-person guest in a year in a year and three or four months. Wow. So this is very exciting. Oh, I feel so special. You're very special to me right now. Yeah. Well, we're both we're both double vaxxed. Both double vaxxed and waxed. So. We're gonna have a hot girl summer. We're gonna slut it up. Yes. It's I gonna be so. good. Oh my god, I hope so. We deserve it after all this. We do. Um, I do have to apologize to you. I had to turn off the air conditioning because it's super loud, so that we could do this recording. So if we're sweating, I'm sorry. It's gonna be a sweaty recording, is what I'm saying. That's okay. Well, we're we're gonna get down to it. So it <laughs> it the, the sweat will be earned. It'll be I earned think. sweat. <laughs> Um, so, okay, uh, well, now that we are kind of recording in person, uh, I'm just gonna, Robert, how are you? How's it going? I mean, I'm good. I'm so looking forward to all of this <laughs> pandemic stuff to, to be done, uh, you know, working, uh, doing live shows and stuff was one of the main things that I did and yeah. the web series, of course, we were going to film season two and then the pandemic hit. Right. So, uh, so yeah, uh, but a gay Victorian affair season two is going to be filmed in October. Yay. Uh, everyone's vaxxed for that and we're going to get that filmed and get all of that lovely Victorian era gayness, uh, out there into the world as soon as possible. I love it. No, I absolutely love that. I'm excited for you. So is it going to be the same director? Yes. My husband, Andrew Lamb is a director. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Love you. Uh, and the cast is all coming back and, uh, yeah, it's going to be really great. And, and you know, th- thanks for mentioning it too, because we won our Canadian comedy awards in the same year. We were at Yay. the ceremony and we were able to cheer each other on. It was so awesome. I so re- I remember that. Did we all go to comedy bar after and like blackout? <laughs> Uh, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I definitely have a drinking problem, uh, which by the way, in the pandemic, like I got, I got, it was so bad at the beginning and then like it got so much better. Mm. And then like whenever we went back into another lockdown, by the way, if anybody around the world is listening, number one in Mongolia. So a lot of like internationalism, no autographs. Uh, but, uh, (laughs) literally like whenever we, if you're not from Canada, we went back into a horrible lockdown in, uh, oh my God, like November? Yeah, it lasted basically from November until June. Yeah, till about like now. Like yeah. it just literally and yeah, it's 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 been really depressing and then the drinking got really bad. But now I'm like, I got it under control. Like we're good. we're good. good. But also you. like I also drink because I'm fun. You know? Well, well you know, <laughs> I'm I feel the same way. I discovered edibles over Ooh, yes. the pandemic and that yes. was uh, I mean, I love them to bits, but at the same time it's like, oh you don't need to eat four right of those chocolates <laughs> right away. Yeah. To cope. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Um, all right. So uh, let's see. 2003 Oscar ceremony year. Best picture went to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to... There's lots that I have to say about that movie. Uh, best actor went to Adrian Brody and then Bye Girl. 
Uh, and then Best Actress went to Nicole Kidman, a.k.a. The Nose. Uh, Best Supporting Actor went to Chris Cooper for Adaptation. I actually loved him in that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Best Director went to Roman Polas- uh, Polanski, who was not there at the no. ceremony year because he was a fugitive because uh, he fled the country in 1978 for diddling an underage girl, which is so troubling. So, uh, 2003 <laughs> Oscars. So, um, I've never seen any of these movies except for The Hours and um, Chicago. Um, the first person, though, that I do want to talk about is Kathy Bates in About Schmidt. So anybody listening, if you've never seen About Schmidt, it's basically like Jack Nicholson playing a very sad man who um, is at the end of his career. He retires, his wife dies, and he just really doesn't know what to do with himself. And it's a kind of weird role for Jack Nicholson because he's not playing the angry guy for once. Frankly, I was just expecting him the whole time. I was just waiting for him to be the angry guy and it just never happened. Um, But still, uh, Kathy Bates in this movie is sort of this like free spirit, sort of hippie, sexually aggressive woman who, um, (laughs) you know, meets him and he is the father of the bride and she's the mother of the groom because their kids are getting married. And um, uh, this is a really dark movie. It's very depressing. Um, When Jack Nicholson won the Golden Globe for this movie, he won for Best Drama Actor, and he literally was like, I thought this was a comedy. And it's like, oh, yeah, this movie was hilarious. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, What did you think about this movie? (laughs) Well, certainly it was very different to see Jack Nicholson in a role where it seems like everything happened to him Mm -hmm. as opposed to him being the catalyst for plot points and things happening in the film. That's true. Uh, So that that was interesting. Although, like, it was hard to watch Jack Nicholson sometimes be this this sort of like normal person because I'm so used to him being like absolutely bonkers right or doing something completely you know dramatic and just like off the charts kind of thing so this was very for him it was a very subdued uh, role which I I thought he did well in Uh, he did great I mean it's Jack Nicholson yeah this was his last Academy Award I think that he retired from acting in like 2010 Mm -hmm. and then you know he's 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 done. He's the most nominated male actor ever. Um, he has, I think, yeah, ten nominations, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. I like I like a good Jack Nicholson movie. Yeah, um, if you've never seen Ironweed, that's a good one too. Mm-hmm. Um, as good as it gets is probably my favorite. But specifically, yeah. Kathy Bates. So. The only thing I ever knew about this movie was the hot tub scene and yeah. how everybody was making jokes about how Kathy Bates was this overweight middle-aged woman yeah, I remember that too. getting naked and like everybody made a joke about it. And I remember at the time, you know, I was like 14 or 13 when this movie came out and I just remember everybody talking about it. Mad Magazine had a thing about it. Family Guy had a thing about it. Yeah, they did, didn't they? Everybody had a thing Everyone about it. Did. It was like with, on Family Guy, it was like she gets into the hot tub but it's Stewie instead of like Jack Nicholson and he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to get out. And he just like, <laughs> leaves and like it's just everybody was just coming for her also uh june squibb played jack nicholson's wife um and she's from nebraska i have never seen her in any other movie so it was kind of interesting seeing uh june squibb in this uh movie um so honestly like i love kathy bates yeah me too um i enjoyed her in this movie she didn't really come into the movie until about like an hour and 15. Oh my gosh, I know. I was watching this and I'm like, okay, I'm watching this for Kathy Bates. That's Where right. the heck is she? Yeah. <laughs> and I was getting, like, I was expecting her, I was expecting, because he was like in his RV, like driving around small town America. And I thought of the movie Rat Race. I was expecting him to like find Kathy Bates on the side of a road. And then she's going to ask if he wants to buy a squirrel. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I was like, when does she come in? Like, I don't, what is happening? And then... When she does come in, it's like the house is a mess. Mm-hmm. You know, she's wearing like like a muumu, and she's like getting into a fight with her ex husband. She has a temper. Um, I don't really know how to say this. I, I I feel like maybe this this might like give the gay gasp like to some kind of listener. But like, mm-hmm. um, other than like the naked scene, I didn't really find her performance to be like that memorable. No, I didn't find it that exemplary either. You yeah. Know? But that nude scene, because she was in like 2003, and it's like, oh my gosh, uh, a woman who isn't a model is showing her boobs right. uh, in a scene. I think 
despite all of the fun that was made of her, I think there was another side of uh, the industry. And I guess a lot of those people were Academy voters as well who were like, it's so brave. Right. Yes. So I think that it's partly maybe what earned her the spot. Also, I, was it was it not a great year for, you know, <laughs> ac- actresses in supporting roles for I, their roles? I don't know. I mean, that's like, let's give Toni Collette that brief but shining moment in the hours. Like, nominate her or something. I don't know. Yeah. She's, she's due for some more nominations. But let me ask you this then. Do you think that if she didn't have that nude scene in the hot tub, would she have been nominated? I, she, quite honestly, she was comic relief for for me in this movie. So, does that it? And in some cases, you know that all that age old comparison of comedy versus drama. Like what to, you know, what kind of chops do you have to have to right. to do either? And you know, comedy does take uh, considerable acting chops. Uh, but in this case, I just thought that it wasn't enough for mm-hmm. like she wasn't given enough to to really shine did, she did well in all of her scenes but in a lot of cases there were a lot of other people in all of those scenes a lot of group scenes mm-hmm. so i didn't really I, I wasn't quite there with the idea of like oh this is an oscar worthy performance yeah and my, the movie was so heavily about jack nicholson oh, yeah. it was literally just I would say 90, 95% him yeah. and then like his daughter and then that guy from my best friend's wedding and then like a ponytail with a ponytail. Oh yeah, that's where that guy's from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who is that guy? He looks terrible. <laughs> I know. I mean, I like some of the lines that she kind of just said. Like she was so open like sexually where she would just be like, you know, when I got my hysterectomy, like it was just out of nowhere and they just met. And she's like, whenever I got my hysterectomy and Jack Nicholson is just a very small man. So he was literally just like, oh my God, like you yeah. can't believe that you're bringing this up. So she was a very like feminist, hippie, kind of open-minded, sexually aggressive kind of person. And maybe for that time, a woman that age, that was like a groundbreaking role. Yeah. I, I thought women. too, I mean, she was the family that uh, that uh, Warren Schmidt, uh, Jack Nicholson's character, was, his daughter was marrying into a family that was very blue collar, mm-hmm. whereas he was very like middle class. And I think mm-hmm. there was, that was there to create that discomfort and just... Uh, even intensify the discomfort that Jack Nicholson's character was feeling throughout that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought it, everything that was being done was being done to serve the story of Warren Schmidt, Jack Nicholson's character. Right. So it's like, that. I mean, it, that is what it was. You know? Right. No, 100%. Um, I think uh, that there was some part of her role in this movie that... Maybe, okay, maybe this is just how I saw it, but, like, I thought that it kind of seemed like a bit of a joke. Like, Kathy Bates's character was kind of just, like, a joke because it's, like, oh, she's, like, this overweight woman that, like, is just so sexually mm-hmm. confident and stuff like that and how um, it just made me a little uncomfortable. Like, and that was kind of, like, the tone that I was getting where it's, like, that's something to laugh at. I don't know. Like, you know, female nudity and, like, uh, like a more realistic body shape and stuff like that. And, like, the joke is that, like, she is so sexually aggressive. And mm-hmm. maybe there was something about that that I found, like, a little uncomfortable watching, like, in the role. Maybe that was just me, but, like... And maybe I can't quite put my finger on it, but there was a tone where it was a little bit of laughing at, not laughing with. Yeah, I felt that, too. Okay. I, I agree. So um, I didn't feel like Kathy Bates was completely in control of her character's narrative in a way that she would have liked to ha- have had it portrayed, perhaps. Yeah. She had to take a... She had to have, they said, like, three or four cocktails to do that nude scene. Oh, really? And they had to really go back and forth. Like, she was like, you can show it from the side, you can show my breast, you can show my stomach, but don't show, like, my puss, like, don't show this, like, don't show that. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. She had... <laughs> there was a lot of... Yeah, like, a lot... Because, yeah, obviously... Like, I... I could never do a nude scene, like... Ever. Like, I, well, I've done a, I did a butt scene. That's right, you did. I did. I did a dorsal nudity uh, scene in uh, a gay Victorian affair episode three. Uh, <laughs> if you want to check that out. But what is that like? Like, what is that like doing like a sex scene on film? Because I could never do that. I'm so bashful. Oh, fair enough. Well, uh, I mean. It's acting, and when, especially for film, you've got like uh, you know twenty people around you. <laughs> so what happens is the the you know in a good filming experience on a good set, you know there's going to be uh, it's going to be a little bit more jovial, and everything's done to make the person who has to do the nudity or the sex scene make them as comfortable as possible. Um, I wrote this, so I was like, I knew. I, in fact, I wrote 
the that episode knowing that who can I ask to do nudity on my show? And I was like, well, no one except yourself. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing nudity on this show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I love that. Uh, some of the lines that she said that I love was whenever she, uh, again, out of nowhere... She's, like, feeding him the soup or whatever because yeah. he, like, hurt his neck on the waterbed. And then she's like, did you know that their sex life is white hot? And she's talking about, like, her kids, their kids' sex life. She's like, I'm a very sexual person. And I thought it was funny because it's like, yeah, we know. Yeah. Like, like, it wasn't already very clear. And knowing your kids' sex life, too, and being excited for them for it, I was like, okay, that is not my parental experience. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, that's 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 very true because because your parents are very religious. That's right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up, uh, I grew up Mormon. So, so yeah, no, yes. they're not. Sex was not a thing in yeah. our family. No, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, Shirley Jones was considered for this role uh, that Kathy Bates played, um, oh, and really? she Shirley Jones won her Oscar for Elmer Gantry in like 1961, I think. Uh, the pen pal that he keeps writing to the sponsor child Ndugu, um, it actually means brother in Swahili. Hmm. Um, and uh, I love Kathy Bates. I. Um, always love she can just kill a supporting role so well Um, frankly I would nominate her for a supporting role in like maybe Titanic over something like this but I mean like I was certainly a memorable a brief but memorable performance Mm -hmm. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add? No, I mean, that's that's what I, but it's an interesting point. It was a very short uh, turn for her in this film. But I mean, as the Academy has proven before, like Judy Dench won for Shakespeare in Love for being on on the film for like, for, like 10, 10 minutes. minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like it happens. Uh so I, you know what I I would have I would have to watch all the films of 2003 to really decide whether she should have been in the category at all because I'm like this is a really small role and not usually what I would expect mm-hmm. but you know what I love Kathy Bates so give her a nom that's mm-hmm. what I say and plus too like I've done this podcast now for like a year and let's say a year and a half and it's literally like um, I have learned that there the way that it's like there's no technical rules of who's going to be supporting and who's going to be lead mm-hmm. it's like the members of the academy when they're voting for acting it's all actors it's like they decide yeah so like um susan sarandon was nominated for a movie called like atlanta or something i can't remember what it's called and she was really a supporting character mm-hmm. in that movie but she was nominated for a lead oscar and even she was surprised by that yeah. so i think um the nominations are always kind of wacky and unpredictable yeah um, uh, i think i'll have more to say about that when we talk about one of the other roles uh, oh i think i know to talk to talk I about i think i know exactly who you're yes. gonna talk about uh let's talk about meryl streep and adaptation so adaptation is a charlie kaufman um screenplay that he did um uh, uh, being John Malkovich, there's even parts of being John Malkovich in this movie, yeah. which I thought was interesting. He does a lot of meta scripts. Super um, meta. Adaptation is literally the story of Charlie Kaufman literally adapting a book, mm-hmm. but apparently he had horrible writer's block. So then he turned the screenplay into a screenplay about how he can't adapt the novel into a movie. <laughs> it's so well done and it's so well written and it's so interesting and I really really liked this movie Um, and all of the things that he said that he didn't want in the movie like the car chases and the guns and he's like this is so (laughs) stupid I don't want it like all of the things that ended up being in the movie and the woman who wrote like the Orchid Thief or whatever the actual book that he was supposed to be adapting in the first place that Meryl Streep is playing yes um, Susan Orlean yes yeah and she in the the movie is like chasing him through a swamp and like shooting him and she when they asked her if like he could they could do this movie she was like absolutely not she's like what the hell is this and then 10 years later she actually said that she loves the movie well she i think she did say she didn't think that this book the orchid thief was adaptable into a screenplay right she never thought it was but she was like sure go for it and then (laughs) and of course you know charlie coffin was like i don't know what to do with this either so you know he comes back and i've got this other idea or you know actually uh susan orlean and charlie coffin did not meet uh while he was adapting it they met on set because uh, she visited, and Charlie Kaufman ran away when he saw her. Yeah, <laughs> when, and then they didn't see each other again for another year. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, he obviously was like, "I don't know that this author of this book is going to appreciate what I'm doing." But uh, in fair. the in the end, uh, 
uh, it was a she great did. Movie. Oh my gosh! And you know what? I would say when you find out that you're being played by Meryl Streep, the complaints go down. Exactly. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. Yeah. So Meryl Streep is the author of the Orchid Thief in this. Uh, movie and um i remember this movie like resurged her career because whenever she won the golden globe she gave like the funniest speech like she was like it's been since the plastine era since i won anything because this would have been 2003 and she wouldn't have won like a golden globe since 1982's for sophie's choice really did did nothing happen for bridges of madison county for her no and my favorite thing when i was doing bridges of madison county for this podcast was like all of the reviews was like from like old white men and they were like whatever happened to morals and you're like what that's the point of the movie you idiot like i anyway i um so meryl streep in this movie oh my gosh so yeah she's like this writer and then she falls in with chris cooper who's like this toothless guy from florida who goes into the swamp to steal all of these like rare flowers and um, his character is just perfection. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, so he, great! He won the Oscar for it. Um, and basically, it's like Meryl Streep's character um, finds his passion for anything so infectious because she doesn't have any kind of um, obsessive passion that she would care about in her life. Mm-hmm. So she becomes fascinated with his fascination, and then her life like spirals out of control. And then she gets addicted to drugs, and then she like kills a bunch of people. Yeah, just you know, like you do when you're a journalist for the New Yorker magazine, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think that Meryl Streep was probably Catherine Zeta-Jones's biggest competition for this because she was actually a lead for the Golden Globe, oh. and Harvey Weinstein, who was responsible for um, Chicago, was probably who's like famous for his campaigning skills, was oh, yes. probably like I think she would have more, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones would have more of a chance if we did. Um, supporting for Catherine Zeta-Jones, which ultimately ended up working out. And this really was the years where uh, Miramax had really changed how the Oscars were decided because no one campaigned as aggressively as Miramax started to do. I mean, it started with Shakespeare in Love because it was such the shock when Shakespeare in Love beat out Saving Private Ryan that year. Mm -hmm. But... I mean, Harvey Weinstein, I mean, ugh, but... uh, I know, I know. But, I mean, he was very effective at getting what he wanted in Hollywood. And what he wanted was nominations and awards. And, you know, he was aggressive about it. Yeah. This was uh, Jack Nicholson's second Academy Award nomination. His first was for Leaving Las Vegas, which is, like, a really fucked up movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's... He won for that. And then he was nominated for this. And then in this, he's playing Charlie Kaufman, the screenwriter, but he also has a twin brother that's not real. Yeah. But when he got nominated for Best Writing, his fake twin brother also got nominated. So it was like what? a nomination for like a fake person. Wow. Yeah. That's how meta it is that people actually were like, no, there's a second person that wrote this. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. That's yeah. an accomplishment. <laughs> exactly. Which is which is really interesting. Um, the thing that I really loved about this movie is I remember um, when uh, she gets really high for the first time and then she's on the phone and the way she's talking and acting is so accurate to anybody that's on like an opioid or like they're like totally sedated because my ex used to be like addicted to oxycodone oh um not to brag um (laughs) and he yeah it was just it was not cute but that is exactly how he acted and like meryl streep like chef's kiss like that is flawless it was perfect watching her i was like this is like when anybody says that Meryl Streep is overrated, you're like, you're an idiot. Like, she actually is that good. Well, I, it's interesting that you said, because that really, all that stuff doesn't happen until about the fifth act yes, of exactly. the movie. So she's pretty much like, I'm like, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, she's doing a great job. She's doing a very Meryl Streep job mm-hmm. of what seems like a sort of normal person. And then, you know, it just goes click yeah. in, in act Left five. Turn, and yeah. she's like, now she's a drug addict with her picture on a porn site. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, um, oh my gosh, there's, I mean, there's so many things that I wanted to say about this movie. So, um, she's saying things like, I find it so intoxicating to be around somebody that's so alive. Um, and I mean, frankly, like I wouldn't love drudging myself through a back alley swamp in Florida, you know, but like if I'm following <laughs> Chris Cooper's character, like I get it. Like, um, She's complicated. She's layered. Um, she's constantly changing because she is really this sort of New York er who writes for the New Yorker, yeah. and she's a very accomplished author. And now she's like in like Gatorville, like shooting people, and like there's such a, a 
a slow kind of change to her that's like really fun and like kind of funny to watch. My favorite line in the movie, and this is the only thing I wrote, because I saw this movie a long time ago, mm-hmm. and the only thing that I remember is whenever um, Charlie Kaufman just like comes into their house in Florida and she's like, what the hell are you doing here? Did you follow me? And then she she stops, she considers the moment, she thinks, and she's like, what? And then she's like we have to kill him. And just the way she says it is so funny. I And I, I always remember that line from this movie. It's just that one line. Yeah, uh, for me, it wasn't so much a line as uh, that moment. Like, I loved it, I loved it when, when uh, Charlie Kaufman, the character of Charlie Kaufman, goes, she's lying. You know, after that interview where he meets her, she's like, she's lying about who she is. And that's what unravels, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Susan Orlean character where it completely goes into fiction from this <laughs> real life person. And just watching how unhinged she gets in his, at the end, you know, like through the swamp with a gun and, you yeah. know, wanting wanting to kill this guy. And, and it's just like. <laughs> I did not see that coming. So, uh, and Meryl Streep did a great job at it. Like, it was really refreshing to see her be sort of off the level, you know? Like, she's just a little bit nutty. I literally, that was my next point that I was going to make. It was just such a different kind of role for her. Because she always plays these, like, wacky people. Or she plays, like, like you know, like Julia Childs. Or whenever she played Florence Foster Jenkins. Or, or someone she, with an accent. Or somebody with an accent. <laughs> like, exactly. And so it was just kind of interesting seeing her like with a gun trying to kill somebody yeah. and she's like the villain like it's like I'm not used to seeing Meryl in that and also whenever Meryl plays like a supporting role I find that she like shines even more yeah. and I find that she's more interesting to watch um, she said that this was the best script that she ever read yeah I, read, I saw her say that too yeah um, Nicolas Cage in this movie who also did a fantastic job mm-hmm. uh, he was wearing a fat suit which I didn't really notice that, to be honest with you. I didn't really notice that he was wearing a fat suit, but um, this is bleh, kind of little fact. Um, he was sweating so much in it because the suit the suit was filled with lentils, and oh he was God. sweating so much that they began to sprout. <gasps> Change up the fat suit <laughs> yeah. production. Oh, yeah. my gosh. One, you know, one thing I will say about Meryl, and this is like, watching this, I sort of see how the progression went for her doing a... She had a lot more fun in roles after this movie. Like, yes. when you look at, like, The Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Like, she even did Mamma Mia, for goodness sakes. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone, you know, in 1998 would have been like, Meryl Streep's gonna do the ABBA musical. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. But, you know, it's sort of like how uh, Robert De Niro started having more fun later in his acting career. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it created a, a renaissance of his career. And I right. think this may have been the point where Meryl op- opened up to... People were like, oh, she can do... All sorts of things. It's like, of course, she can do anything. She's Meryl Streep. Well, it's like Robert Downey Jr. Like, his oh, career yeah. was kind of in the crapper. And then was it, like, Tropic Thunder that just, like, fully resurged his career? And then he was, like, came back, like, swinging. And then he's Iron Man. Yeah. But this movie literally completely... Not that her career was, like, doing poorly. No. Like, she already had, like, <laughs> friggin', like, 15 Oscar nominations under her belt. But literally, like, or whatever, or however many she had at this point. But literally, like, this movie literally resurged um, her career totally off topic like mm-hmm. just whatever but like um you know as we get older as human beings like our voice lowers and mm-hmm. it's so funny because Meryl she's in her like 60s maybe early 70s I'm not sure but like as she's gotten older like her voice naturally lowers like as it all yeah. does and now she actually just naturally talks like Miranda Priestley from The Devil Wears Prada it's kind of yeah you're no kidding yeah it's like, I was like I is she doing that on purpose I'm like no that's just a natural thing that happens oh my god yeah. I'm, oh, I'm going to pay more attention to that next time I uh, see her talking. That's I'd never thought of that. Yeah. Um, I love how she is talking about um, how uh, she is realizing that um, her change is inevitable. Um, and then it keeps going back to the metaphor of adaption and like flowers and mm-hmm. how um, flowers look like the insects, but they don't know about that. But they're the perfect soulmate and they stay together forever. And like there were so many metaphors and so many things going back to. Fl- I learned a lot about flowers, is yeah. what I'm saying. I learned a lot about flowers. Orchids in, this movie. in particular. Orchids in particular. Um, such a weird movie, such a weird script. I loved every minute of it. I loved every character. This was a chef's kiss for me. This I loved this movie. Yeah, it took me a bit to get into it because I was going into it not really knowing what the heck was happening, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, oh, okay, this is supposed to. It's meta. Once you once you like, I'm on. You just need to agree to go for the ride with mm-hmm. this movie, and yes. if you do, then you 
thoroughly will enjoy it. It's like being John Malkovich. I remember because when I first started watching it, I was like, what is this garbage? And then you have to get about 45, 50 minutes and then it gets so like, oh, it was just like all this setup. Yeah. And then you're like, okay. Um, And if anybody has not seen the adaptation, honey, do yourself a favor and watch it. So, do you have anything else that you would like to add? No, just, you know what? I wish they made movies like this still. I wish that Spike Jones and and Charlie Coppin would get together and, you know, in 2021 make movies that are make you think a little bit more because everything's about the blockbuster these days. He did do um, a movie that just came out called oh. I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and I was not a fan. Oh, no. It's on Netflix. Um, and I was like, oh, yes, Charlie Coffin, I love him. And then I watched it, and I was like, um, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, I just Man. was not into it. Oh, well. Um, all right. Let's talk about Julianne Moore in The Owls. So this movie was always called The Nose because uh. it was famously um, Nicole Kidman had The Nose, which, of course, uh, um uh, Harvey Weinstein was so against this nose, but of course he would be because he just wanted all of his women to look like beautiful and perfect, which yep. is why he like was super gross with them. Um, total side note, um, Nicole Kim, uh, this is like going to be another episode. Don't worry. But literally Nicole Kidman in this movie, I couldn't stop watching her. She was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Nailed the accent. And I literally just finished watching all of Downton Abbey. And like, this is around like kind of the same time yeah. in Sussex, England. And just the way <laughs> that, um, she did it was chef's kiss. So good. But let's talk about Julianne Moore. Yes. So, uh, if anybody is, uh, not aware of what The Owls is about. It's essentially a movie about uh, sad lesbians. Uh, is a <laughs> quick way to describe it. Um, so The Hours is uh, the original working title of Virginia Woolf's uh, Mrs. Dalloway. Um, Virginia Woolf is Nicole Kidman in this movie, and it's basically about um, women in three different times of history that are stuck in a family situation. They're gay or yeah. maybe bisexual or something queer for sure queer for sure and they feel trapped and then um there's a lot of suicide or suicidal thoughts it's a very dark movie yeah. it's very depressing um and uh julianne moore's character in this movie is it, it's 1951 in los angeles and or california yeah. and she is uh a mother of a really cute kid who ends up growing up to be ed harris i was a little plot twist and um she is pregnant. She's in a marriage that she John C, with John C. Riley. <laughs> he yeah. just did not get a good end of it and this year, right? No, like, he's always like, playing the sad sack. And I all know, of or these. like a cuckold or something. Yeah, like, just always. And basically, she was just miserable. And then she like um, a, a, attempted to kill herself. She decided to back out, and then she kept the baby. And then the second that the baby was born, she just left her family, yep. and she tried to. Uh, make out with uh, Tony Collette at one point and then Tony Collette just pretended like it didn't happen yep. and then um, later you awkward. find out that Julianne Moore is the father is the father is the mother of Ed Harris who Ed Harris um, has AIDS because apparently that's the only narrative that gay people can have in movies and mm. then Ed Harris he kills himself and then you find out that Julianne Moore is like the mother of the kid that she abandoned and then you find out why she left and Meryl Streep uh, gets the the her version, Julianne Moore's version of the mm-hmm. story, and heavy movie, just yeah, it's a, a bit. heavy movie, <laughs> just a bit, just a bit. Oh um, my goodness! What did you think of the hours? Had you seen this movie before? So I did. I remember seeing this uh, in two thousand and three. I was in theater school, and you know when you're in theater school, uh, well maybe you don't. Uh, when you're, <laughs> when you're in theater school, you have to go and see the most dramatic, depressing movies, of or else course. you're not a good actor, right? Because you got to study that. So everyone was like, "You got to go see this." You like, you got to go. Oh my gosh! You know, uh, whether it's uh, Meryl Streep, whether it's Julianne Moore, whether it's Nicole Kidman, I was like, "Oh my god, they're all so amazing!" and they're playing lesbians and it's like yes. you know the, the that trope of oh s- straight people playing gay and look at how like it's just such a so brave it's so, so exactly another brave like whether it's kathy bates breasts or playing a lesbian yes, it's, right. it's, everything so was very brave. brave this year um <laughs> but i mean i will say uh i was actually most affected by julianne moore's performance in this out of all three okay. so i know where you're saying like nicole kim and blew you away for me it was julianne moore that uh like 
I, I mean, I've always loved her. Maybe I have a bias. I mean, I loved her in Magnolia back uh, a, a few years earlier. Never seen that movie. Oh, you got to see it. It's quite an, uh, it, it's, it's. Yeah, isn't it, Tom Cruise in that movie? Yeah, and I oh, is it P.T. Anderson that that uh, directed it? That was his claim to claim to fame. Everyone was talking about that movie when that came. But that was another one where like so much sadness. And I was in theater school still. Uh, I went to two theater schools because I because I wanted to punish myself. <laughs> Don't go to theater school, kids. Um, <laughs> but like even then, it was like oh, you have to, everyone. Everyone's so sad. There's so much sadness in this film, and there's a great soundtrack, so you have to go see it. Um, oh, and she was great in that. But she would like the hours was um and she was in another movie uh uh close to that where she was playing something in a period piece as well and she was the main actor in that far from heaven yes far from heaven that's it where that she's in a lot of gay i just watched her in um the kids are all right far from heaven is like her husband's gay she's gay and she plays a lot of like she's very gay positive yeah good for her good for her yeah in these movies and she did it just i mean that scene with tony collette where the kiss happens oh you mean tony collette as i love lucy (laughs) coming in i know what is that huh (laughs) oh my gosh yeah, it was like Ethel coming coming by to, yeah. to visit or something, you know. Um, but like just the nuance of it, and it was it was captured really well, not in the lines that were being spoken, but in in the facial expressions and the, the awkwardness and the subtleties. Agreed. And, and Julianne Moore's always been a master of subtlety. Mm-hmm. Um, the pauses, the what she can do with her, mm-hmm. just her eyes, mm-hmm. uh, just. You know, you see the pain and you see the relationship that she has with this little boy and and, and how it's, you know, a mother that, uh, and, and there are plenty of women who I'm sure can identify with this, whether you're a lesbian or not, where you're like, I don't think I'm suited for motherhood, but it has been thrust upon me because that is the expectation. That's right. And that was definitely what was keeping uh, Julianne Moore's character uh, boxed in and then, you know had to to break free and we find out that she of course abandoned uh her children and then of course we see the effects of that in ed harris's character of richie later in life what that did to him mm-hmm. so we see the effects of you know nicole kidman's um virginia wolf's book mrs dalloway being read by julianne moore's character who then ruins her son's life who meryl streep's character has to deal with so the, all this connection but um really i thought that julianne moore was the heart of this and this is interesting because yeah when it came to uh nicole kidman's character when it comes to screen time it feels about the same so nicole kidman was in the movie uh the least of all of the supporting roles she was in the movie for 28 minutes mm. um julianne moore was in the movie for 33 minutes and meryl streep was in the movie for 48 minutes really so nicole kidman won for best lead actress because she actually was that good in my opinion but i also don't I actually haven't seen the other lead. I don't know who the other lead actresses were. I, I haven't done that episode yet. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like to spoil it. I like to save it. Um, but Julianne Moore, Meryl Streep, and Nicole Kidman, um, all three actresses won Best Actress at the Silver Berlin Bear Awards. Like they tied? It was a three-way tie. That's what? the first time that's ever happened. Um, Nicole Kidman, uh, I know we're going to get back to Julianne Moore, but Nicole Kidman, um, she loved the fake nose because she wore it whenever she wasn't um, uh, filming because uh, oh. she was going through the Tom Cruise divorce and no one recognized her. Oh, she must have loved it. She loved it. Um, also, uh, whenever Julianne Moore was uh, like full suicide and she was going to do that, she was pregnant but then when she filmed the scene where she, it's like in the future and she's aged, yeah. she actually was seven months pregnant. So when she wow. wasn't pregnant, she had a belly. And then when she uh, was pregnant, they had to like cover it. So it was like this kind of weird reverse. Wow. <laughs> I didn't, you know what? I didn't notice. But, you know, of course, as people age, sometimes they gain weight anyways. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, she didn't look seven months pregnant, which is good because she was playing like a 75-year-old. So yeah. They originally wanted a different actress for her whenever they got older. And then it just, they filmed it with Meryl Streep and it just didn't work. So yeah. then they like yeah. gave her six hours worth of makeup to age her. I think they did a good job. I, I, I thought it was uh, more than adequate considering some other makeup jobs that I've seen on movies before you know um you do certainly have sympathy for her character even though she fully pulled a selfish you know what i mean just like abandoning her family like that abandoning her kids and um you do have sympathy for her and her her character you can obviously tell it's a different time and like how sad it is and um you know i think that there is a part of movie history where the sad gay narrative 
was necessary to show people like other like straight people that like it is difficult being a gay person to Mm -hmm. evoke some kind of sympathy with audiences around the world Mm -hmm. so now we can start like i mean in 2021 we can start making like happy gay films or at least i'm hopeful that they will just because most lgbtq films just have straight people playing gay people because uh a gay person playing a gay person we don't want to make people sick like oh my god but literally like with uh these as a gay person watching these movies, I don't know about you, but I find it very difficult because it just basically just, I, that's how I grew up. And I'm sure that's how you grew up where it's like when we saw movies or when we saw each other ourselves in movies, it was like, we were either dying, we were being hate crimed, we were being bullied. It was always just like, and that affects your psychology. So I didn't love watching this movie, but it's an extremely well-written, extremely well-done and extremely well-acted movie. Mm -hmm. Also, Meryl Streep should have been nominated for this as well. I thought she she was very good. I mean, uh, Ed Harris was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor in yeah. this. I mean, the nominations... So this was one of the Miramax films that mm-hmm. was released that year. Like, mm-hmm. So the campaigning was aggressive. I'm sure someone like Harvey Weinstein really was like, no, Nicole Kidman is being considered for Best Actress. He probably said it, and people were like, okay, well, I guess we have to do that. Then. Yeah, and they didn't know if they wanted to, because they were like, should we go supporting? Because of the 28 minutes, and then yeah. Harvey, you're right, was like, no. We're yeah. going lead. So, I mean, and obviously some thoughts were being done because Chicago was the other Miramax film that was up. So two big heavy hitter films. Right. So when you look at these nominations, you go, there must have been some behind the scenes. Like, so who's going for this? Who's going for that? Because remember, Renee Zellweger was also nominated for Best Actress for her role in Chicago, mm-hmm. lost to mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's interesting to think about the behind the scenes uh, plays for this. But in regards to it being a gay film in particular... Mm-hmm. I, there's this whole category. I just call it like gay films for straight people. No, totally. Yeah. Totally. I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I completely, I feel like, because it's mostly just gay men that listen to this. Um, and if there's any ladies that listen to this, hey girl. Uh, but literally, like, um, totally. I feel like when you say that, I feel like any gay listening to this is like, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. I totally, absolutely. Um, I think one of my favorite moments with Julianne Moore, and we, we, we do have to move on, but one of my favorite moments with, with Julianne Moore was um, when she decides not to kill herself, she comes home and John C. Riley is like talking to her on the bed and she's in the bathroom and she's like crying on the toilet mm-hmm. and she realizes <laughs> she's t- crying on the can and she just literally is like, oh my God, I can't do this. Like, fuck this guy, John C. Riley. Fuck my kids. <laughs> fuck this baby in my stomach. Fuck everything. But she's responding back in that like, 1950s housewife voice and she's like no honey like it's all good honey like absolutely honey like I'm fine honey but she's like crying I imagine that would be a very difficult scene to do and that I thought was very impressive and I thought that that was probably one of my favorite moments and I was just like wow like that's acting now imagine doing multiple takes of that and having to keep it up too right Um, I think for me the most affecting thing when we talk about the lesbian storyline when she's talking to Meryl Streep as an older woman and she's explaining why she left she said that, you know, she was going to kill herself. Mm-hmm. And it was either abandon your family and find a new life or or commit suicide. And she, and she said specifically, I chose life mm-hmm. for whatever consequences that had with it. She mm-hmm. chose life. And I was like, that's a, you know, I think so many queer people have had to make really difficult choices where they go, well, if I stay here, I might die mm-hmm. or, I'll, or I'll be so unhappy. So I really identified with that particular part of like, you know, make, making your choice to, to live your life, whatever the cost, uh, but to live your truth. So I appreciated that a lot. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, she was, she was, she was fantastic in this movie. Um, a lot of great writing, like the symbolism of the cake where it's like all messed up when she's depressed and she's like, I can't fucking do this. And then she decides, you know what, fuck it. I'm actually going to pretend to be happy again. And then the cake is perfect. You know, there's a lot of really great symbolism in this movie. Um, You know, the scene where she's on the bed when she's about to commit suicide and then like all of the river water starts pouring in. Yeah. The way that they filmed that is they actually built like a hotel room set and they literally put it like suspended it over a river and they just dropped no. it. Yes. Oh my God. So it was like, yeah. <laughs> These days it'd be all green screen yeah. and all effects, 100%. right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Do you have anything else that you would like to add? No, that's, that's it for Julianne Moore. So, so I, I loved her in this. I loved her, loved her, loved her. So let's talk about the movie Chicago. Yes, indeed. So Chicago is a movie about, um, how do I describe it? It's a movie about, 
uh, Renee Zellweger, who wants to be a star, and then the guy that promised her that he would introduce her to Catherine Zeta-Jones, the star, um, <laughs> he lied, and then she kills him, and then she goes to jail, but then Catherine Zeta-Jones also goes to jail because she killed her sister, who she was in the act with. Um, because uh, then there's a bunch of songs explaining why everyone's there, um, <laughs> and it's a musical, and then Richard Gere, for some reason, is in the movie. Really poor casting. We'll get into it. I did not like him in this movie. I thought he, anybody else could... You know, Robert De Niro would have been better. Like, I just... Snap. Anybody... I'm not a fan of Richard Gere, um, except for in An Officer and Gentleman, and we will go to Pound Town. It's all good. But literally, <laughs> just talking about Chicago... Um, it's basically like Catherine Zeta-Jones and uh, Renee Zellweger just like trying to be stars and try to get out of prison and be like these fabulous people like doing theater shows in Chicago. So this movie, believe it or not, is inspired by a true story. Yeah. And um, and of course, based on the Broadway play, and the Tony course, winning Broadway it, play. Yes. So uh, Christine Baranski's character... Uh, was actually Maureen Dallas Watkins, who used to write for the Chicago Tribune, and she wrote about two people that actually killed um, mm-hmm. their uh, husband. No, the well, basically, whoever Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones killed, it was, like, very similar in real life. Yeah. And both of these murderers got acquitted. And this is what um, this play was based on that came out in 1975. By the way, when Renee Zellweger goes to jail um, and she talks to an inmate smoking a cigarette, that actually was Cheetah Rivera, who portrayed Velma Kelly in the original 1975 production of Chicago. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Actually, no, let's talk about about Queen Latifah. Yeah, because she was nominated in her role in this film, too. (laughs) Is that... So we were both talking, you were just making a very good point about Miramax and how um, Harvey Weinstein was really good at campaigning. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, I have no idea why she was nominated for this movie. If we're talking about a professional singer in the hip-hop rap community, she has, like, experience, like, singing and performing on stage. Her song, like, When You're Good to Mama, was at the beginning, and it was very brief. And then the rest of the movie, her performance was just... It was fine. Like, it was exactly what it needed to be. Yeah. Was it an Oscar-nominated performance, in my opinion? No. She plays the warden, um, or the matron, as they called it during that time, if you were a woman. If you were a woman. And, um, you know, it's it's that typical, like, everybody that works at the prison is evil narrative. Yeah. Or, or like, on the take, or whatever, right? Exactly. Like, everyone's shady. And you gotta pay Queen Latifah's character if you want anything done. And her services are not cheap. Um, $5,000 uh, that they had to pay to the lawyer um, Richard Gere in 1920-whatever would have been worth $63,000 with inflation. Oh, snap. So where is everybody getting this money? I yeah, don't know. Um, Queen Latifah. Okay, what did you think about Queen Latifah in this movie? Well, I think this was her first real departure of a movie role. I think she'd probably done maybe uh, some comedies. I'm, my, my timelines are a bit... Because she did a lot of rom-com and, and silly comedies. Breaking I think. Down the House came out in this year as well. Okay, so there we go. But So this was... But when you're known as a rapper and your name is Queen Latifah and suddenly you're giving uh, uh, what I would say, uh, especially at this time, uh, doing a role that the white establishment approves of, I think they were re- rewarding her for going outside of her rap world and doing serious work, right? Um, which okay. is, of course, racist. Um, sure. But uh, and at the and at the same time, the role itself, um, while well performed, and in fact, there is uh, one of the major songs from the Broadway play, "Whatever Happened to Class." Uh, was a song was a second song that Queen Latifah had in the movie, and it was done. It was recorded. It's a duet between uh, Queen Latifah and uh, Catherine Zeta Jones's character. Mm. It is. It was cut from the film. Of course, Broadway uh, fans were like, "What? Why? It's a great song." It exists though, and you can find it on YouTube. And it's, oh. and it's a great song. Uh, do, if you were to see that, would you think suddenly that Queen Latifah's performance was even that much better? No, probably not. Uh, but it was—I mean—it was a solid performance, but and very much a supporting. It fits that uh, label as a supporting role. Okay. But 
it, it was fine. It's that kind of thing where like, yeah, it's fine. But I think the circumstances around it, and of course with Miramax behind it, they, mm. you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. Kathy Bates was the first choice. Um, and then Queen Latifah came in. Really? I actually think that Queen Latifah would is the better choice. Me too. For the role. That's um, like when uh, they were going to get Bette Midler to play, uh, to do Sister Act, and then they get Whoopi <laughs> Goldberg. And so I was like, yeah, that was the better choice. That was the much better choice. Um, oh, by the way, Mary Sunshine, the uh, Christine Baranski character in the play originally is a drag queen. Um, yeah, and it's a reveal, actually. You don't know that that... And, and so when you go to see the Broadway play, they do not give you the name of the actor playing it in the program so that you don't know that the reveal is going to happen and you find out oh my gosh it's a man right right and of course that's very ooh and uh, i don't like nowadays the the shock factor of that is a little bit passe right a hundred percent um and maybe they even in 2003 it was but they they took a different route and i actually approve of their route for the movie my husband does and he's like i want the i want the reveal and i'm Mm -hmm. like "Mm, it doesn't work out in on film in the same way i think when i think about queen latifah in this movie when i think of the song like when you're good to mama i have that i literally have that song stuck in my head all it's the time it's hard to because i i don't like i don't like musicals i'm not really it's not my vibe um i prefer just like the hours sad depressing dramas like give me some broke back like i'm all into that like yeah. i uh, uh i need <laughs> I, I need a zoloft prescription because i just <laughs> i love depressing i love depressing movies but um and depressing dramas but not a big fan of uh, musicals. I really enjoyed this. I find um, the technical skill and like everyone's super toned and like mm-hmm. dancing their fucking ass off and no singing kidding. so well. I find all of that super impressive. But is it something that I would put on, you know, and watch? No, but I, I did enjoy this movie. But the least amount of things that I had to say about anybody's performance was Queen Latifah. I think yeah, my favorite moment is when she gets the same haircut as Roxy. Oh, yes. And I, I loved that moment. I thought that was really cute. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I also kind of like whenever she gave Catherine Zeta-Jones' character um, Roxy's diary because um, Queen Latifah's character is, like, no longer in control. So she's yeah. like, I'm going to fuck some shit up. And, like, I like there were moments, but I was waiting for an Oscar moment, and yeah. I personally felt like I didn't get one. Yeah, certainly not in the same way you would say of Meryl Streep in the same category or Julianne Moore in the same category where you're like, you don't have that moment where you go back and go, oh, wow, you know, uh, in the same way. And and I think this is the problem with musicals is I think in, in some cases they let the songs substitute for the acting mm-hmm. so they do a really good job performing the song and suddenly and she did yeah. yeah and she did and it's like oh and of course you know performing a song requires some acting but yeah you know it's yeah i'll have more to say about that when we talk about Catherine. okay so then let's talk about Catherine. so let's talk about okay. Catherine zeta jones so um Catherine zeta jones was a lead actress at the golden globes um and she is in this movie like the femme fatale that you truly just can't take your eyes off of she is certainly i never use this expression but a tour de force in this film mm-hmm. she was a few months pregnant when she was doing it um yeah. and you really cannot tell um maybe in some of the scenes but they did a really good job at hiding it um her dancing and her singing is incredible. She actually was offered the role by Martin Richards after he heard her sing carols at Christmas in Bermuda. What? And um, he, uh, she actually, because he wanted her for Roxy, and she said that she would only do the movie if she was going to play Velma because she really liked that song, All That Jazz. Uh, um, which is the, which is really, quite honestly, the iconic song from which that Which is musical. the iconic song. Yeah. Um, isn't there a musical called All That Jazz as well? Uh, if there is, I haven't seen it. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, Madonna was actually considered for the role of Velma, which... Oh, wow. I don't know. I really am not a fan of Madonna as an actor, period. So I don't really know how I would feel about that. And I... it would, But maybe she would have... I could, good, good, good I could see job. after her playing Breathless Mahoney in Dick Tracy how they could see that she could maybe play a role like that. Mm-hmm. But certainly... Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones was a better choice than Madonna for this that role. For sure. I don't know. I mean, for me, the only role I ever saw because I have seen Dick Tracy, but it, for me, it was um, it was uh, desperately seeking Susan because she basically was playing Madonna. Yeah, yeah. Or Madonna's character that she's created for the public. 
you know. Um, yeah, for me, it's just the time period of Dick Tracy matches the time period of that. So I was like, maybe that's why she entered their minds as a choice. Totally. But I'm glad they didn't go that way. I'm glad they didn't go that way either. Um, this is before we get into Catherine Zeta Jones. I actually, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna save I'm gonna save this one for last. Okay. So, um, uh, oh, def- I can't even I can't even read my own writing. Uh, so yes, she had. Um, Fantastic uh, singing in this movie. Fantastic uh, uh, dancing. I, oh I goodness, sh- yeah, he had it coming. Like I love, oh I God. love that performance. I love. Um, I couldn't take my eyes off of her. Yeah. She has such presence in this movie, and you're rooting for her the whole time. Because I always kind of like the villain, and yeah, I just enough. loved her in this movie because she, she just, it's, it's her eyes. You know, it's like, it's like the way that she looks at people. It's so like sultry and like sexy but like evil like and she just seems like she'll spit venom if she wants to and she um you know she also uh has her pride but then she also knows when she's been defeated and how she can kind of manipulate yeah and i just i really liked her in this movie yeah there's something about watching uh you know, when you watch uh, a scene from an actor's point of view it's like who wins the scene and who loses the scene uh, and Catherine Zeta-Jones loses a scene as well as she wins a scene. Like, when you watch her character be defeated in a right. scene, you're still like, oh, wow, watch her get defeated. And it's, there's just something so satisfying in how she acts that. And, I completely, yeah. I know exactly, I know exactly, like, what you're saying. Like, whenever it's, like, um, whenever they introduce the song, whenever they're, like, ladies and gentlemen, and in, in an act of desperation, oh, yes. and they, like, introduce <laughs> her, like, and you, it, it, as a gay man, like, we always love to see, like, a diva scorned, because it's yeah. like, what is she going to do? Like, what yeah. is, how is she going to react, you know? Um, one thing I, one of the lines that I loved about this movie is, um, and I think, like, anybody that works in the entertainment industry can kind of relate to this, is Renee Zellweger's character is, like, you know, I want to be a star, because, like, when I was a kid, like, I wasn't loved enough. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't get enough love. And then, like, whenever you work in the entertainment industry, and then you suddenly hear that, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> and then you're just, like, <laughs> mirror, and you're just staring at yourself. <laughs> And you're like, should I go to therapy? I'm like, I, I don't know. Yeah. And what's so funny is like, he's like, oh, I wasn't loved enough as a child. So you're going to be an actor and get rejected your entire life? Because it's more rejection than anything else when you're in the acting business. 100%. So it's like, okay, 100%. you're really perpetuating your pain, but okay. <laughs> I actually, I actually, um, um, I quit my acting agent a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. I did acting for about three years, and um, all of the work that I got was non-union, but because I'm Actra, because of all the stuff that I do for television, oh, yeah. I had to do Actra auditions. But Actra is like, you have to work your way in. You can't just be like, I'm here. And the roles for gay men are border, no, just offensive. Yeah. They're so reductive. I cannot tell you how many straight men directed me how to be a gay person. The way that it was written for gay people, you're like, this was obviously written by some guy or like some straight girl. And it's so offensive. Like there, and also, um, uh, the way that it's like if you're a comedian when you're like going for acting roles and stuff like that you're just a moron like you're just a bumbling idiot yeah. and it's like you know that you can actually be sophisticated and be funny at the same yeah. time like it um, after years and years I just I decided to throw in the towel because you're right it's not it. I can handle rejection but it's just the amount of work and the amount of mental um, like sense of self that you need to invest into yeah, it no kidding. and uh and the way that people talk about you and reduce you down to an object not a person i'm like listen this is not the industry for me like i literally hate this and mm-hmm. so that's why i have a profound respect for actors because well i actually don't like actors actors as like people because right. they drive me crazy <laughs> but i'm a very cynical person so i'm like how fake are you but that's the whole point right <laughs> yeah. but literally like watching them do their art i'm like wow like i have such a profound respect for it and I literally just yeah I uh gave up I quit I was like fuck this that's funny I haven't had an agent in t- uh for 10 years myself oh uh because I quit because I was forced into the actor union because of the different roles I went out for it's like no you have to join the union and I was like okay and my resume was so small that because I was actor the people I was going up against they were always getting it just because they were better well known yeah. and I ended up having to to leave the union which is not an easy thing to do actually they they don't necessarily make it easy they make it, they've made it much less easier in the past 10 years uh, to leave the union uh, 
Actra, I could do a whole podcast just about Actra. Yes. Uh, I mean, I don't have anything bad to say about Actra right now because I'm going to be engaging in an Actra contract for season two of A Game of Thrones <laughs> Affair. So well, I have okay, zero I have to bad to myself. say. <laughs> I mean, maybe after it's filmed, I'll come and talk to you about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but it's interesting that you talk about the acting in this because this is based on a musical and it has that feel mm-hmm. at the same so while the acting is a tour de force by Catherine Zeta-Jones there is a, a level of artifice to it that I think is what comes from when something comes off Broadway I mean with those Candor and Ebb songs and the Fosse moves that are mm-hmm. uh, the choreography in this mm-hmm. there's going to be a level of artifice and in fact the movie couldn't have happened in true real life because they needed to put some of those songs on a stage so they had right. to suddenly make a stage appear in the middle of the movie mm-hmm. um but also the time period for me affected uh, affected how I felt about the performance of Catherine Zeta-Jones a bit because while I think she was hearkening back to some of these old like Lauren Bacall type characters from back in the day in in you know old school movies uh, and film noir, there's a bit of a hot shimmer. like, here's the plan. See, this is how it's going to go down. Yeah, right. Let me give you some <laughs> advice, sweetheart. Right. And I'm like, okay, like so for me, it lacked a little bit of the nuance when it was just acting yeah when there was singing and dancing oh my gosh like wow but this is the the academy award is for acting correct so that's where i go okay i'm gonna think about this a little bit deeper now i have to like you literally just took the words out of my mouth because that was exactly what i was gonna say it's literally one of those things where it's like you have to just be like in awe of the singing and the dancing and the yeah. choreo and like the hot bods and you're literally like wow like and she's pregnant and you're like holy shit but yeah. then like if you're just talking about the acting specifically like it's also really really good and so you kind of do have to separate like the dancing from the act like I know what yeah. you're saying and so you do have to kind of consider that whenever you're picking because I'm going to be honest with you like this is actually a very hard decision for me of who I'm going to who I'm going to pick Ooh. no spoilers but like I, I don't know who I'm going to pick quite yet but um, I just think that Catherine Zeta-Jones in this movie as Velma has this type of presence that you truly cannot teach you either have it or you don't. And in this movie, um, she really, really has it. And one of my favorite lines in this movie is when she says, um, uh, when Renee Zellweger, when she's like, please, like, uh, or Catherine Zeta-Jones is saying to Renee Zellweger, like, let's fuck it because nobody wants us solo. What if we got together and did our own show together? Mm-hmm. And then Renee Zellweger's like, please, I hate you. And then Catherine Zeta-Jones is like, there's only one business in the world where that's no problem at all. <laughs> It's so true. I'm like, I love that line. It is just mwah, chef's kiss. Um, of all of the movies, of all of the roles, that was my favorite line. Yeah, um, I can see why. That, that, that is fantastic. This movie won Best Picture and Premiere Magazine in 2005, named this movie one of the 20 most overrated movies of all time. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, I have to agree. Yeah, the first I time I saw this movie, I loved the aesthetic. I loved the, like, I always loved the flapper sort of 20s, like, vibe. Again, I just watched Downton Abbey. I love that kind of style. I love, like, uh, lesson here, see? Like, I love that. (laughs) But um, I guess watching it again for the second time, um, I wasn't really as impressed with it. And I really was bothered by Richard Gere, truly. I I think he was miscast. Oh, I mean, everyone was surprised at that casting mm-hmm. when it came out because there are certain, like, people are like, Richard Gere sings? Yeah. The answer is sort of. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I thought he acted well in it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, in regards to what, re-watching it, if you didn't watch it on a big screen to begin with, I right. think that might affect your feelings about it because there is something overwhelming about watching production numbers and things like that on such a wide screen, like the the sensory overload that, that a musical creates. That's their version of, of you know, big explosions and stuff <laughs> like that, right? Uh, and it, I think if we had both watched it on a big screen, I think maybe some of the decisions that we're, we're going to be making uh, would, be, would have been easier. Yeah. I don't enjoy musicals very much, but I did enjoy these songs. I enjoyed watching their performance. I will definitely have um, uh, uh, He Had It Come and Stuck in My Head oh, no kidding. for weeks. Um, and uh, I also really like um, When You're Good to Mama. That one always gets stuck in my head, but... Um, would I ever watch this movie again, like, on my own? Absolutely not. But, uh... <laughs> Unless you have to do Best Actress for... For Renee. For Renee. I would just yeah. refer back to these notes. Okay. I would just be like, ah, <laughs> uh, No, I'm actually very thorough. I would watch it. Um, 
Do you have anything else that you would like to add? Uh, about Catherine? Uh, not particularly. It's, it's interesting when I try to think of other roles by Catherine Zeta-Jones, this one comes to mind immediately. And then the only, like there's only two others. Like, like she was in Zorro and she was in that like, um, oh, what was that one with Sean Connery? Yeah, where she's like the spy and they're yeah. like doing the weird, like they got to avoid the lasers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that called? It was like expulsion. No, it was something, it's like some sort of, I know exactly, oh but because God. I think about that as well, and um, whenever I entrapment, entrapment. See, there we go. Expulsion, yeah. entrapment, whatever. Yeah, you're you're right. And she was also in like America's Sweethearts. I don't remember that. Yeah, but yeah, I guess. I, oh, and she was also in Feud. She played um, Olivia De Havilland. Oh, okay. okay. And Olivia De Havilland sued. <laughs> well, you know, she lost it. Um, <laughs> but. Okay, so I think that the time has come. Oh, dear. For us to select who we think that the Oscars should have gone to. Now, Robert, you are my guest, so you will go first. So I think the Oscar should have gone to... Julianne Moore. Oh, my God, I love it. Why? Uh, Well, for me, it was truly her acting that brought out that role you know i watch i always watch things as a writer i can't help myself so i go oh that the writing really didn't help there or oh the writing is what made that that good because they were given the lines to say so much of julianne moore's performance was uh unspoke was Mm non-speaking and just watching her reaction and i mean her in in tandem with the the director did such an amazing job of conveying this person's uh sadness and and their dilemma and just the entire world Mm -hmm. uh so i i chose julianne i I just have a soft spot for too i I love it yeah i love it great okay uh i'm gonna go ahead and say who i think that the oscar should have gone to so i think the oscar should have gone to Meryl Streep for adaptation. Um, not only wow. was she the most memorable performance of all of these, I think that you saw the biggest sort of arc and change with her and how she spiraled out. I think it's so funny that it's actually based on an author and <laughs> they just fucked with her actual storyline. Oh, I, I think it's really funny seeing Meryl Streep with a gun, like drudging herself <laughs> through like a backwood Florida swamp with gators in it trying to kill somebody. Um, I, it's a role that you really haven't seen her in, and it was just really exciting to watch her. I thought that, you know, because this movie did resurge her career, I think there's a reason for it. She won the Golden Globe. If she yeah. won the Oscar, I also would have understood that. Um, I just, for some reason, related to her character a lot, maybe not in terms of, like, being addicted to drugs, but just sort of, like, <laughs> longing for wanting to be so passionate about something and having that like obsessive passion in your life Mm. that you could dedicate yourself fully to it and you know being like transfixed with that and um i just really loved meryl in this movie especially working with chris cooper they're such different actors but they had such great chemistry and i think that it was just very very well acted and also in the hours she was incredible so just like you know combine that um but mostly adaptation it was just so good so yeah. Okay. Well, that concludes another episode of Best Actress. So, Robert Watson, where can people find you on social media? Yes. So, I have the most fun on Instagram at gayfcomedy. Uh, that's that's the one that Kyle mentioned at the beginning, where I share memes and share what's going on with my shows and you know some of some content that I make for online. Uh, or you can follow me uh, at this is Rob Watson. That would be the other place to find me when you want to know my hot takes about politics or something like that. Or you know, oh, I was angry that day. If I was angry that day, I go to Twitter. You know, if I'm having fun, it's on Instagram. So if you want to see what I get angry about, go to Twitter. All right, there we go. So they have options. Yes, they have options. Okay, well, Robert, thank you so much for being a guest, and we'll definitely have you back again. Oh, thank you. I'd love to be back. Okay. Thanks, Kyle. Bye.